Balance your trading strategy by adding futures. CME Group helps you manage risk and capture opportunities in all market environments. Capitalize on around-the-clock access to highly liquid global futures and options market across all major asset classes. Just visit your online broker and get started. Plug into valuable educational materials and trading tools and see what adding futures can do for you at cmegroup.com slash on the tape. Guy here. You're listening to an audio broadcast of Market Call. That's MRKT Call. It's a daily video series I do with Dan Nathan every Monday through Thursday live at 1 p.m. Eastern. We break down the big market-moving headlines and offer trade ideas. Each week, we're joined by our friends Carter Worth of Worth Charting and Liz Young, that's EY of SoFi, for their investment analysis. So check it out. And if you like it, follow at Market Call on on Twitter and subscribe to Risk Reversal Media's YouTube page so you never miss an episode. Today is Tuesday, the 16th, 16th of May. I'm Guy Dummy. Dan Nathan back in the seat for Market Call. Uh, as I mentioned, 1 p.m. on the East Coast, the only time zone effectively that matters. I think everybody gauges off East Coast time, but that's sort of the snob in me. The Also, the snob in me will tell you that last night the Yankees made short work of the Toronto Blue Jays. Now, I mention that, Dan, because there's a lot of consternation coming out of um, Toronto about Aaron Judge's eyes sort of peering into the Yankee dugout or perhaps towards the first base coach. Prior to him hitting one of the longest home runs I think I've ever seen in my life, they measured it at 462. Um, that ball will land around the same time Danny's horses will finish a Kentucky Derby. Oh, Today's market call brought to you by CME Group, where risk meets opportunity. Of course, our data provider is, in fact, FactSet Financial Data and Analytics, Dan, that are powered by tomorrow. How are you? I'm doing well. Um you know, Danny's horses may still come in here, guy. We got, you know, a couple more. Uh, that's really funny. Um, let's talk about this thing here, man. I, you know what? It, it's interesting. I was on a podcast earlier today. We were just talking about a friend of mine who, you know, she's she's a, she covers politics. And, you know, she's asking me about the economy. She's asking me about the debt ceiling. She's asking me about, you know, and I said, through the lens that that guy and I talk about it on our pods, we talk about it on CNBC. You think nothing's going on. You think that the data is not weakening. You would think that there is no real risk to this political showdown between D's and R's and and, and what's gone on with the, the debt ceiling and the potential for us to kind of default on our debts because the S&P just continues to flatline. I mean, it's just, it's just insane here. And, you know, we've been talking about this a lot, you know, how it seems like all of the risk in the stock market has been transferred to maybe five or 10 stocks that are experiencing an unusual amount of enthusiasm around some sort of technological innovation that appears that just kind of hit us in the, in the head here, which is not the case. And that that's AI. And mm -hmm. right now it's all these major platform companies, right. Are just benefiting from this on a day like today. Look at Amazon up 3%. The, the leading story on FactSet guy is that they are announcing a chat GPT sort of 
search box on Amazon. Amazon has been using AI functionality across their platform for search recommendations for a whole host of different things, especially as it relates to their AWS platform, like for years, I mean, mm -hmm. probably for 10 years. And so when's the last time you remember this sort of excitement infecting the stock market, but not the broad stock market, a very narrow swath of names that happen to make up a disproportionate amount of the weight. Well, I mean, in a very smaller way, I mean, you could lump SPACs into that. You could, you could lump some of those, that craze that went on with those NFTs. And prior to that, 3D printing was a thing for a period of time. Cannabis had its day in the sun. I mean, but I don't I think everything sort of pales in comparison to what we're seeing now. And I think companies are being smart in terms of the language that they're using, understanding that so many of these um, trading bots pick up the language and buy things on the back of it. So I think there are a lot of um, programs out there that will pull out AI. And when they see the word, it, I think it triggers buying orders. And I, that sounds completely simplistic, although I think that's exactly what's going on. For example, I don't know if we can pull up an AMD chart on the fly. And by the way, I'm a huge fan of Lisa Sue of everything she's done at AMD. They've, they've acquitted themselves extraordinarily well in her tenure. But if you recall when they reported earnings a few weeks ago, I mean, that stock made a straight line down to about 80 bucks or so. Uh, and now here we are. Stocks rallied close to 30%. And that's all on back of the headlines about them and Microsoft in an AI thing. Now, what's funny about that is, and I'm sure you have thoughts, when that headline came out, the first thing I did was look at NVIDIA to see what would happen there. And if I recall, the stock was down a couple bucks, which is meaningless in the context of where the stock is trading. That's gotten on its horse as well. But to your point, AI is the craze right now. And about, I don't know, 10 to 15 stocks are benefiting in a meaningful way on the back of it. Yeah, you know, our friend Doug Cass over there at Seabreeze Capital, you know, we, we talk Doug about, Cass. yes, you do. We talk about the S&P, you know, and the equally S&P versus the market cap weight. We know that those top, you know, 10 names make up, you know, more than I, I close to 30% of the S&P. But look at look at the NASDAQ. And, and he just sent us an email to that. Then NDX, the NASDAQ 100, those top 10 names make up, you know, 50% of the weight. But the NDXE, which is the equal weight, which we don't um, you know, we don't quote as much. I mean, that looks like the S&P, right, on an equal weight basis. So you're taking out these large contributions from Apple, from Amazon, from Google, which is also up 3% today. Um, it's been a straight line since their Google I.O. conference uh, last Wednesday when they highlighted a lot of just kind of what they have been doing. They were kind of kept in the penalty box. And of course, Microsoft. So listen, you could make the argument that that sort of consolidation, um, you know, near the, the kind of one year highs, you know, if you look at that double top that we had earlier in the year um, is maybe bullish. But I, I would say that they're discounting an awful lot of good news here, especially in front of a market that we think is very complacent around the situation that's going to take part into the end of the month with, with the debt ceiling, you know? And so I guess if you transferred all of the risk to a handful of mega cap tech stocks, if there's any sort of disappointment or correlations go to one, okay, because we have plenty of parts of the market, the stock market, that are really signaling a weakening economy. If you look at small caps down today, uh, today down 1%. If you look at oil, and we're going to look at energy um, stocks a little bit, look at how they're acting. Look at what uh, some retailers are acting on the back of Home Depot. Look at some of these industrial stocks. I mean, bank stocks. I mean, Morgan Stanley 
might be one of the worst looking charts in the entire stock market. Look at the head and shoulders that's being formed there. Maybe they can pull that up there. And that speaks to the fact that, yes, this company is very diversified away from, you know, a whole host of, um, you know, they've gone into asset management. They've gone into retail trading with E-Trade. They've gone into a whole host of different businesses. But listen, people, financial, like the, the sort of stuff that they make the best fees on, they're not coming back this year. You know what I mean? And that's IPOs, it's M&A advisory and a whole host of other things. That's not a great looking chart, is it, Guy? No, I, I, it's interesting you mentioned that because yesterday with the great Carter Braxton Worth, we talked about a much longer term head and shoulders pattern that was manifesting itself in JP Morgan. Again, hat tip yeah. to Doug Cass, but we had talked about that as well, I think a couple of weeks ago. So no, the financials don't trade particularly well. And you know, somebody in the chat's mentioning HYG. HYG is pushing down towards 74. It's again, it's not levels that are alarming, but I just want to point out there's been no real bounce there. And in terms of these, these basically handful to 12-ish stocks, I mean, it is what it is. That's where the market is right now. What we talked about last night on Fast Money, and I think this is worth noting in a week where we're getting retail earnings, 36% of adults in the United States, think about this for a second. 36% of the adults in the United States have more credit card debt right now than they have savings. And you say, there's no context for that. I'll give you context. Two years ago, uh, it was 21%. So that's up significantly. So we talked about the $17 trillion debt mark in terms of uh, consumer debt. I mean, it's a staggering number. U.S. debt to GDP is probably north of 135%. Give me context, guy. Okay, I'll give it to you. In 08, um, prior to you know what happened and uh, debt to GDP was about 67%. So there are all kinds of things to be concerned about out there. And you say you're just cherry picking the bad things. The good things are the price action. That's really all it is. I mean, the most bullish thing that's going on right now in the stock market are the way stocks are behaving. It's certainly not the fundamentals. Yeah, there are a couple of companies around the edges that are doing well, but it's the price action that's getting people bullish. And, you know, but but At that's some point, this is going to rectify itself. But that's the thing. I mean, the price action is being skewed mm -hmm. by a handful of names. So you have yep. an S&P that's up nearly 8%, a NASDAQ 100 that's up 20-some percent. And, and when I just look at, again, I'll go back to the Russell, you know, that Russell 2000, Apple's market cap is bigger than the whole thing, and that's down on the year. So I, I don't know. I mean, I got you. Uh, listen, here, here's my trade. Hold on a second. Just give me a second yeah. here. Yeah. Travis Smith. Okay. Pull it up, 109. I went back and listened to these bears at the lows of the market in October. They weren't buying then either. A lot of big... Okay, Travis, just so we're on the same page, because I know this to be factual, and I'm sure some people will um, back me up on this. There were two times last year we were bullish. Once was in June. Pull up an S&P chart. We talked about it that day. I think it was June 15th, if memory serves. The VIX traded about 34 and a half. You had huge intraday moves the prior couple days. And we said on both fast money and market call that that appeared to be a short-term bottom. The market should be set up to rally anywhere from 15 to 18%, which is exactly what happened. In October, we talked about the same thing happening. The VIX traded up to about 34. We talked about um, the intraday moves we had seen prior. We said, just like we saw in June, the market is setting up to have, again, some 18% uh, move. That's what we got. Uh, we had an ensuing sell-off. What I've gotten wrong since then is this sideways to slightly higher action since December. So, Travis, don't give me this bullshit about I listened to these bears back in October because it's factually wrong. Back to you, Dan. 
<laughs> no, it's um, true. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm wrong all the fucking time. I'm the first to say it, but yeah. I'm not going to be wrong about things I'm not wrong about. No, you no, you are not. And I've known you for a long time. And that's not uh, that's not how you roll. Um, listen, you know, I, I just go back to this. Um, and, and, you know, for every one of those sorts of comments, we um, highlight, you know, there's like probably a dozen of people saying mm -hmm. listen, we, we get it. We bear the responsibility. We're here because you're telling us the way you see it. And I think that what's important also is that guy, you and I do market call every Monday through Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern. You are prolific on the Twitter. Uh, we also do on the tape podcast Mondays and Fridays. We do CNBC's Fast Money at uh, 5 p.m. Eastern, probably three or four days a week. You know what I mean? Like we're there. It's all documented. You can see there are nuanced comments. I we could be bearish on this thing, but like bullish on that. We could, you know, I mean, like it, it is what it is. I mean, we're here. We try to be really accessible. We even take, you know, we take the, the haters as much as we take uh, the people who are, Got our back here, but uh, again, got, you got guy fired up on a Tuesday. Which I love that. now, Chris me. L. Chris is really getting me going. Now, ask guy about the Fed and the Mets. <laughs> no, nope. all right, let, moving on. All right, let, let, let's let's talk a little bit about this setup in the S and P five hundred. So I brought uh, um, I brought a one month chart here, guy, and I think it's just kind of interesting. And when we talk about complacency, we talk about a VIX that you know tracks the volatility on the S and P five hundred. This is the E minis, the S and P. 500 futures and you just look at this and, and you see to yourself okay it's been a very narrow range we talked about that kind of 4120 to 4140 sort of, of level that we've been in you know and and you look at that and you say all right well it's narrowing and it's narrowing right at that kind of sort of 200 day um at least on the one month chart here i look at the one year chart or this is maybe taking us back to the spring of 2022 here and i say okay pretty well-defined uptrend. I see the point in which October, um, again, I might not have been bullish on the economy. I was not bearish on stocks at the lows. Might I in November or early December change my tune? Yeah, man. And you know what? We kind of had a retest a little bit. And some of those NASDAQ stocks were doing very poorly into the end of the year. We retest, we make a new low, right, from the December lows. That was during the banking crisis that uh, I think is not done yet. And look at this consolidation, that one month, if you back it out, you'd see it's two months here. And we're still above those February two highs. I still want to play for a move lower in the S&P 500. I want to target that 200-day moving average, okay? That was also um, the uptrend here. I want to sell the E-mini at 41.40. I want to use a 41.65 stop. That is the high from on Friday. Why am I using such a tight stop here? Because I want to stay in the game here. I want to keep kind of moving in and out of this trade if I get stopped out. But if the thing starts moving in my direction, okay, and it starts going towards those recent lows, then I'm going to lower that stop, right? I'm going to continue to kind of play for that move back towards that 200-day moving average. So my initial target would be like 40, 60 or so. Here we are at 41 40, and I want to have a 25 handle stop to the upside. Again, this is a tight range of, of trading that we've seen over the last month, month and a half here. And I want to be nimble here, but I really like the setup to the downside. And guy, I was listening. I was off yesterday, but I was listening to you. And on the, on the tape podcast, you and Liz Young had a great pod and you had a great conversation about what's priced into the market. You were talking about complacency and you said, why should if there's any movement on a debt ceiling kind of like like uh, agreement here, why should the market pop? Because nothing's being priced on the flip side of that because you cannot look at the fundamentals of the market or the economy and say that there is something that's being priced with the S&P going sideways here. 
That's the that's the bit of the conundrum I have because we've seen it over and over again over the years where there's there's a piece of news that everybody's anticipating which potentially could be negative that then somehow gets ironed out and the market reacts positively to it which would make sense if the market acted negative negatively to it in the first place. So, you know, as people point out correctly, the market is set up to go higher most of the time. I intuitively understand that. I get it. Um, and that's why I sort of brought up the point. In terms of your trade, if we could go back real quick, this is basically you're risking, it's sort of one to make three. And I think that's the right risk reward in this environment. You know, if you're wrong, all right, sort of 25 to 30 handles. If you're right, you could potentially catch about 80, 75 to 80 handles on the downside. And I think your target level is right. But you know, if this thing starts working for you, as you mentioned, and we've talked about this before, but for new audience members, that stop at 41.65 could be lowered. We call that a trailing stop. So as the market goes lower in your favor, your stop could go lower as well. So you start to mitigate your upside risk. And then quite frankly, if it gets to your level to take profit, you could be in a position to maybe take half off and let the rest ride. So there's a lot to like here. These retail earnings are interesting. Home Depot started it off. I will tell you, I'm actually surprised with how well Home Depot's holding in there, although there's a lot of day left. We'll see. But I think as you get into the bulk of retail, Walmart, and then you start to hear from NVIDIA, which, you know, if I'm looking now, Dan, I mean, that's probably got to be close to 25 times or so earnings, which is a staggering number in yeah. the context of where it was at its low and where it probably topped out at its high. Yeah, you know, a couple of weeks ago on Market Call, you know, I, I put on a trade and it was a bearish trade. I was defining my risk. I was using options. It was in NVIDIA. The stock was at 264. Well, here we are at 297. I mean, it's just been absolutely in my face. And usually I like to try to, um, you know, use a 50% mental stop on the premium that I spent for a long premium trade. And this one just blew me out. Okay. And so like, that's going to happen here. And it's one of the reasons why I think it's really important on Tuesdays when we talk about trading the major indices and, and doing them in the futures and using the stops, it really is a great way to, to remain nimble and manage your risk on something that is just, it's just a, tr it, it's a tough trading environment. That being said, I mean, this NVIDIA feels very unnatural. And I think we have a one month chart and you can just look at the range and look at the excitement and look at how people are just pouring into this stock here. And then if you look at it on a one year basis or going back to the start of 2022, I mean, we're, we're, we're really, we're almost there guy. We're yeah. almost at those kind of 52 week highs. And, and, and I'll just go back and I'll just say, I mean, listen, people, this is a $700 billion, um, you know, kind of market cap company. Hold on. Let me get the exact number here. I'm pulling it up on my fact sheet. 734. Okay, guy. And this stock, okay. And if I'm looking at, at a consensus estimates, you know, expected earnings growth this year of 35%, which is truly astounding. Revenue growth expected to be, you know, I don't know, like 12, 13%. Maybe that comes in higher than expected or so. It trades at 65 times earnings, 25 times sales, 20 times next year's expected sales, 50 times earnings. And again, if you think that they are at the dawn of a new AI revolution and every company in the planet that needs to put some sort of these large language models or whatever the hell it is that they're working on to kind of put into your products and services and you need to buy the chips from there, well, then I, 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 I got to 
bring you back to AMD. And we have the chart of AMD, which you just highlighted before, is that, okay, well, the headline that got this stock going after their disappointing results and guidance a month ago was that Microsoft was basically using them or going to help them make advanced AI chips. Okay, so I, I don't know, man. I mean, it just yeah. seems like, you know, no, listen, okay. and I don't, again, you know the space a lot better than I do. This is what I would submit um, just for conversation purposes. I don't necessarily think the long-term winners of AI are going to be the companies that make the chips. They'll benefit. I think the companies that are going to win are the ones that somehow integrate it into their platform. And I'll tell you, um, Palantir, look, I mean, not that I'm looking to have a Palantir conversation, but if you listen to what they said um, Mr. Karp on their on their earnings release about a week and a half or so ago, they talked about the place to be for AI is Palantir. And if they can properly integrate what's probably going to be commoditized into their platform, that's what we're going to be. The winners are going to be in companies like that, I think. So right now, the winners are the ones that are making the chips. I think the long term winners are the ones that integrate it the best. Well, just my thought. We'll see yeah, how that plays I out. Mean yeah, I, I don't disagree. I just think it's hard to play, paint, you know, this like a, an entire space, whether it be software as a service, whether it be, you know, like, I, I, you know, it's it's basically what if it just becomes table stakes guy? What if it really yeah. actually what if it's the sort of thing that all the compute and all the advanced chips, all that spend really weighs on margins and then you get the pay it, the payoff? over years. You know what I'm saying? Like that sort of thing. So to me, I, I think it's a tough one. I get why people want to pile into the kind of um, picks and shovels. You know what I mean? Because the payoff is going to be down um, the road. And, you know, again, I remember our, our friend BK used to use this expression that, you know, chips are the new oil. Mm -hmm. And that seems to be what's going on. All right, let's look at crude here really quickly. 71 bucks. Speaking um, of. Yeah, we've been talking about this. And, and again, you know, we highlighted Exxon. It traded 120. Okay. I think it was the day that it was Friday. I think it was, I want to say it was the 14th of April. I might yeah. be off by a I week. Mean, I mean, if you look at, if you look at this thing, it dropped like an absolute lug. It's down 2% today. 120 new all time high down to 102.75 is, is what I have here. And if you just look at the XLE, we know that Chevron and Exxon make up, you know, 40 some percent of that. And, and again, we're starting to see these concentrations in some of these, you know, sector ETFs or major indices. They're really going to play a role if there is any if all of this complacency is met with fear. OK, that for whatever reason, whether it's debt ceiling, whether it's geopolitical, whether it's something having to do with China. And I don't know if you caught, Guy, the China growth uh, data. Um, it's Disaster. not great. It's not great. And I think that our markets have front end loaded a lot of excitement about the China reopening here. So curious, like your take, you know, from here, forget about what you and I have said about energy stocks or the from here. Like, what are they telling you if you want to extrapolate it about demand and the economy and, and the like? Well, I think, listen, one of the legs higher in crude was on the hope of that China reopen. That was obviously short lived. The next leg higher was that OPEC news that was short lived. And you're not getting any bounce on this announcement that I guess the administration is going to start buying back oil for the SPR. So you look at this, and if it was anything but crude oil, we play that game all the time and say, what do you think? I'd, I'd be like, you know what? We've tr tried that support level a number of times. The next time down, we're going to break that support level. So that's the way it looks, and the moving averages suggest that as well. And you know, we might be two months from now talking about that Exxon earnings release. I don't know if we can pull up an Exxon chart XOM real quick just to take a look. You know, that Exxon earnings release, when it made an all-time high of about 121 as being like a medium to longer term top. And 
You're looking at it right now. So what does it mean? Well, that low we saw probably back in March is clearly in play. And the fact that we're now significantly through the moving average lends to one to believe there's going to be further downside. And if people continue to rotate into technology, they're probably going to do it vis-a-vis a lot of these energy stocks. So what I think about the fundamentals probably doesn't matter. That's the price action we're seeing now. And somebody has a question about gold. I want to get it in quickly. Gold's trading really oddly today. I didn't see any news, but I'll tell you that gold is trading as if just gold, as if maybe this debt ceiling thing gets somehow reconciled. Um, Because obviously I think a big part of the move higher in gold was on the back of a number of things. I think the debt ceiling might've been one of them. So the cross currents out there, Dan, are vast. um, And it's easy, again, I think if you're bullish, there are definitely things you can hang your hat on. And conversely, if you're bearish as well. And there are no winners here. I mean, I think both bears and bulls at 41.25, which is I'm looking, I think that's where the S&P is right now, are getting themselves chopped up. And that's what happens in these sideways markets where people are looking for the break one way or another and not getting it for what appears. Yeah, Listen. It's probably going on six or seven weeks now. Yeah, yeah. I just think the risk reward is is kind of, and and you kind of said it in in the trade that I detailed in the S and P even in futures. I mean, it's kind of one up, two or three down right now. I just that that is what I believe to be the risk reward because I don't think the economic data is going to turn on a dime. If anything, it is slowly weakening here. And, and I just want to you know we talked about Exxon, but let's pull up the XLE. We have a chart here and just look at that uptrend. You know, since last fall, I mean, it's through the moving average, which you mentioned, and now it's it's below that uptrend. And, and that is just not a great looking chart. The OIH looks a little different. That's the oil services here, but that's really shitty. Yeah. You know, the, if the XLE, if we could go back real quick, I mean, I think you're right on. I mean, it's a series of lower highs. You're seeing it right there. Now, there have been a series of higher lows as well, but we're on about, you know, through 75 and you're on the precipice of breaking that. So that went from looking like a really good looking chart to an awful one. And one has to say, what's the next level of support? And it probably comes in that July low of last year of around 65 or thereabouts, Dan. All right. So let's let's talk yields for a second here, Guy, because, you know, we have this kind of 10 year at three and a half and we have the four, uh, the two year, you know, just about it's at 409. So we have 355 in the 10 year, 409 in the two. Um, you know, Fed funds went to 5% and, you know, um, at that May meeting. And if we look at the CME FedWatch tool and you see what's priced for June, it's not a high probability, right? Like, so we'd have to see a meaningful pickup, I think, in some inflation data, but doesn't seem to be the case, even with, um, you know, unemployment at 70-year lows at 3.4%. Um, you know, this is an interesting scenario here because it doesn't seem like there's going to be a whole heck of a lot of upward pressure on the 10 year. Okay. And that is something that I think you and I agreement is that more reflective on expected growth, but that five year stuck at, you know, or the, uh, the fed fund stuck at 5%. I mean, that's the thing that has the potential to really push the economy into a recession. And I think that's what the sort of 10 year is saying. Do you think there will be any movement in this fed watch tool as we get you know, closer into the end of the month, because as we get closer to the debt ceiling, you'd have to think that the likelihood that there'd be a flight to quality in treasuries. And I know that's a bit counterintuitive, the idea that we default on our debt and this, that, whatever, but that's kind of been the playbook. And then let's say if we did default, what does the Fed do? They lower rates. 
The um, I I think the Fed has done. I've thought for a while that sort of 500 basis points was sort of in their head. They got themselves there. Yeah. So, and I don't even know if it matters at this point if they move or they don't move in terms of what the market does. So, I don't think things will necessarily change. To your point, if this debt ceiling gets somehow triggered, as counterintuitive as it may be, there will be a flight to quality in the form of bonds, albeit probably short lived. I think the ultimate flight to quality will be in the form of gold, but we'll see how that plays itself out. But again, um, I, I, for the life of me, you know, they might take it to the 11th hour, but certainly the market's not challenging them right now to get anything done. And, you know, I think they, they will figure it out some way, but it's going to be a lot closer to that June date than I think people want. So yeah. I don't think there's going to be a rate hike. I do think uh, tenure yields go lower. And by the way, that move index that we talked about for a while, that's back on its horse as well. So, you know, we'll see. Again, to your point, there are just a lot of things to be concerned about out there. Yeah, let's look at the dollar really quickly because that could also benefit, right? Uh, uh, maybe that is a, a flight to quality. And again, I, I, I know your point about gold. And, and so there's two things going in different directions, usually, if you want to talk about um, that sort of scenario here. But, you know, I detailed a bullish trade. Um, I think gold, or I think the Dixie, the U.S. dollar index was trading, you know, one or one or uh, one one, and I think we were going to use, you know, a stop down there around a hundred or so. And we're going to target that fifty-day move or that two hundred-day moving average up there near one hundred five. And again, that was like a risk one to maybe make three or four. Um, do you think the Dixie has some legs here? Because there's been a lot of very prominent calls by some big strategists, some big market participants thinking that the dollar goes lower. And this is a great example where, because we've had this move of maybe buck, buck and a half or something, you kind of move that stop up a little bit, right? Like, and, and you kind of lock a little, because there could be knee-jerk reactions in a, in a macro environment that seems to be not priced for what we think could happen in the not-so-distant future, which would mean just a greater deal of volatility and really correlations kind of moving towards one in the event that things just go to the 11th hour with this debt ceiling debate. There will, and I think that the dollar could be one of those things as well. You know, you could have a scenario where flight to quality in the form of dollar, dollar goes up in the form of bonds, yields go down, and gold as well. Flight to quality in gold for whatever safe haven people think it to be, gold price goes higher. All those things don't line up historically, but then again, we haven't been in this type of situation for the better part of 11 or 12 years. So I think if you target sort of 105 and change in the dollar, I think that's your exit point. And Listen, the fact that it's now moved in your favor, you can raise that stop. But the right stop level is a horizontal green line without question. That's your level of support. If that gets violated, that's your out. All right. Speaking of out, I think what are we what out. Say, yeah, it, it, it's 130 on the East Coast. And just, I know we you got know, it. You got a 5,000 people in Central or Mountain or Pacific. I dig you guys. I really, really do. Yeah, and I don't share. Yeah, I don't share. No, I'm not suggesting you do. That's this no, is I a don't. G-swizzle thing. I know, but I, I think enough. You you made your point. And I and I just want to reach out to my friends in the mountain or in the Pacific. It gets confusing as shit when you're out there because there's certain places like in the same like Texas has two time zones. It's the craziest thing. Hey, what if a, you got a football game in Texas? I mean, what do you do? Who what time zone do you adhere by? Want to hear something crazy? So you I'd know love to. You know, my twin brother lives in Boulder sure, right? and he's a season ticket holder of the Colorado buff. And they have been, they have been on some tough times of late. Okay. So they get coach prime. He comes in. I just bought tickets. Okay. These are face value 
through the, the, the CU the CU athletic department. These are early, you know, for, for season ticket holders, they let you buy single ticket games. I'm doing it through my brother. They are hosting Nebraska in their first home game. This is coach prime's first game. Guess what the face value for lower tickets on like the 20 yard line are guy. $60, $400. That's insanity. $400. That, no, that's insane. They are going to make back whatever salary that they gave him in ticket sales. They had 40,000 people at their spring game and ESPN covered it. I mean, talk about a mania. I mean, yeah, that football like, team has not been relevant since Eric sleeping with the enemy was the running back. Bien-Aimé. Eric the enemy. Number one. I think that was also another one. That was uh that was from our Great main poll man. by me, by the way. Yeah, Tremendous I mean, job. All right, we got to get out of here. because. All right, got- listen, I want to thank the audience. Yeah, I curse, but you know what? I can do it because we're not on we're not on regular not. cable TV. No. No. I want to obviously thank CME Group, Dan, because you know where risk meets opportunity? There. Yep. I just like saying it. Those commercials with Laird Hamilton are badass. Awesome. And the LPGA commercials they do, unbelievable. By the way, we might be back down there in the fall, but we, we'll tease that as we get closer. Sure. Uh, thank you, Faxet, for being our data provider. We'll be back tomorrow, which is Wednesday, with the great Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. Uh, see you later.